Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Mum and Mama podcast, brought to you as always by the lovely Golden Accountancy, wearegolden.com. How are you? I'm good. This week, I'm joined by the incredible and amazing and lovely Holly Matthews, who is an actress and life coach. This, it, we had, we chatted for a very long time, she's got an incredible story um and it, it, so it's in two parts the first part is how she got into acting and like her younger years and then next week's episode she talks about the death of her husband from cancer and the effect that this had on her and her family and her job because she gave up acting and became a life coach and set something called the Happy Me Project up, which basically is about helping people get back to themselves and cope with the difficulties that life throws at us all. So it, I loved talking to her. She's such a positive, knowledgeable, happy person. And even though the... It's obviously quite upsetting to hear about what happened to her husband and the way she speaks about it is very, uh, I don't know what the word is because my brain doesn't work anymore because I'm menopausal. Oh, actually, <laughs> you've got to pay to get your ears syringed now. I thought, because I'm going deaf and I thought, oh, actually, maybe I need to get my ears syringed because I had to have that done years ago, but they don't do it at the doctors anymore. You've got to pay for it. And I was like, oh, this is, this is the start, isn't it? the start of the uh, end of the NHS. Anyway, I digress. Um, Basically, it's, even though we speak about upsetting things, it's not too upsetting to listen to because she just speaks about it so well. And she's very reassuring. Uh, But yeah, I mean, she's, like I said to her, considering what she's been through, she just seems to be coping so well. And I, all power to her because I just think it's so inspiring when people do really suffer um, and then come out fighting, you know. But yeah, she's she's amazing. So this week's episode is about her acting career and next week's episode is more about her husband and how she then became become a life coach and also about the programme that we were supposed to talk about. <laughs> Keep calm and carry on on Amazon. But yes, I hope you enjoy this first bit and I'll see you in a bit. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. 
Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Work. Texas is the youngest, Brooke's the oldest. Oh. So yeah, Brooke goes to secondary school, which is wild. Oh my God, I can't believe we've got kids in secondary school. We're not, I don't feel like I'm adult enough for that. What on earth? <laughs> like, what? Oh, I, I see, I, I'm excited for Lola because I think she's always been 25. Like, mm. she's mm-hmm, just so... Mm-hmm. And as much as I've tried to fight against her being grown up, she mm. just is. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited for her... But I think at the same time, I think I'm going to find it quite weird when on that first date. And it's like they start at half eight, which is like half an hour earlier than. Yeah, so actually getting them up and ready at that time, even though like you feel like they shouldn't need your help at this age. It's like they do more somehow. I don't know how that works. But yeah, yeah, getting everybody out, that's going to be new. And I don't know how yours. uh, What's your oldest's name? Lola. Oh, Lola. So I don't know how Lola's found him. Brooke's getting a little nervous now, starting to creep in a little bit. Um, but I think the same. I think Brooke will do better at sec- uh, secondary school because I think um, we, we've just been doing some assessments today, but Brooke's likely autistic. So we, we work on that. But I think actually okay. that will be better for Brooke because there's a beginning and an end to each lesson. And I yes. think she'll do yeah. better with that. Like, I, as much as that might seem daunting to her going into a new space, I actually think a beginning and end of each. And like, if you don't like it, then you know it ends and then you move yes. on to the next thing. Yeah. Like, there's a literal time, like you have a schedule. So it's not like in primary school where if something's challenging or you're bored or you don't like it, it's just like never ending, isn't it, in yeah. primary school? Yeah. It just keeps going until teacher says stop. So I think she'll do and better. In seeing it, like... Obviously, you have a timetable, don't you? Like in primary school, I don't remember 
no. ever having, this is what we do on a certain day. I mean, I don't know if that's changed. I think but... some days they, they'll have certain things, mine do anyway. And there's sometimes, like, Brooke used to get annoyed. Like, her teacher would sometimes, I guess because they're a little bit better with neurodiversity stuff now. They do have kids with other stuff going on. They do put things on the board, but Brooke would fixate, oh, fixate no. on the fact that if they'd gone over that time... She's like, okay. well, well, they've gone over that time. So why have we not moved on? Like, it's happening. And then she would just be fixating yeah. on that and wondering when it's going to stop. Like, so that was, unless the teacher's like fully in and on board with that, that doesn't really yeah. work. Just more, it's more irritating. Can I ask about her autism mm, or yeah. what you think is, have you, is this been like a recent thing that you've been wondering about or have you always kind of thought? Well, her, so her dad was, had Asperger's and I've got ADHD, so... We kind of, I guess there was always an understanding that there might be something else, but it wasn't really in my mind, to be honest. And I think that's mostly because she's a girl and she's really, she's really social. So that was confusing because that doesn't, that's not what autism looks like. And it wasn't what autism looked like with my husband was very black and white and very direct and almost rude sometimes to people and hilarious, obviously, but like, yeah, yeah fine for somebody like me who's an actor who's like that's hilarious do it more it's not really yeah. all right for the general public who don't really get that kind of behavior and it's embarrassing but so I didn't really I just didn't think it but we there yeah, we've literally had our a second assessment today so it's quite in my mind but um it's yeah they had it had kind of been said but then there's I guess as she's got older it's the differences that you notice because developmentally there's certain things where you're like is that the right, is that right for you? Like some ways should be super mature, like overly yeah. mature. And then in some ways, like really not. Uh, and really yeah. like, like what what might appear like a toddler temper tantrum, but actually it isn't. Like it, yes. it was kind of the difference that was marked. And I initially assumed, oh, it's probably just grief related. Like I just kind of assumed maybe this is just all grief and like sadness. And because her dad died, like I just thought, oh, maybe it's all that. Yeah. Um, but after some exploration and lots of unpicking of things, we're starting to see a different picture of certain things of high anxiety, but also um, autism as well. So we we live, we learn and we we work through. But there's no um, in terms of how Brooke has processed that. That's it's not it's not a scary thing in this household. Like this has always been a, a neural spicy space. So we've not ever been yeah. like kind of bothered by that. It's like just learn about yeah. learn about your brain learn how yours works and the world doesn't give a shit (laughs) like so so get up so you articulate yourself in what you need but I think that's actually something that everybody should learn in general like I think if we all just learn what makes us tick what are our triggers and then we put boundaries in place we'll probably all be better off anyway so I just think this is something that we can learn from people that have you know a diagnosis of some kind and can I ask about your ADHD as well Mm. how long have you known about that for so officially diagnosed of two and a half years ago um yeah but it had been said prior to that and I dismissed it off the bat because I was like like I'm an actor like I don't know anybody that's not weird like I grew up with a bunch of weirdos who like dress up for a living like it didn't seem weird to me and I guess you know we grew up in a generation where nobody had a diagnosis we were all just you're just either a weird kid a creative kid a hyper kid whatever the thing was and and I was on tv from 11 years old so I wasn't always at school I was never in one place once I was the weird kid off the telly my parents just like oh she's creative you know like um and it's only as you look back and I ask questions like 
during my um, diagnosis process, obviously they have to go back on childhood and school reports and all sorts. And I was asking my parents stuff and it's like, you know, did she do this? And I asked one of them and my mum was like, oh yeah, so you did, it was like about hyperfixations and stuff. And she's like, oh yeah, I mean, you did used to like, sit in your room drawing for hours on end until you wet yourself like when you were like 10 or 11 I'm like oh yeah that was fine was it all right 1990s 1980s parents that was just fine was it I mean, my, like I crack up now but you know they're they were a product of their generation nobody had anything you were just yeah. a bit they were like it was just yeah. like a bit weird like we didn't care and it didn't yeah. look I look at it this way that it it only it only makes it challenging when it's challenging and actually just like the same way I spoke about my daughter the reason for diagnosis was part of the exploration with my daughter it got brought up again um I've, I'm in a lot of circles where I'm around psychiatrists and stuff and a few times it was dropped in oh do you have ADHD and I was like no I'm not a naughty boy I don't know why this is being brought yeah. up like what um and then like now I now I understand it and I have combined type um impulsive and inattentive which sounds like the shittest dating profile in the world I am I will ignore you but at least I'll interrupt you like the hell like so when I got that diagnosis I actually just I just you know more than anything it's about it lessens shame around certain behaviors and gives some understanding as to why I might be bashing my head against a brick wall with certain things that just don't work in that way and now I just lean into it and actually I'm really, I mean, I've always been fine with my weird. And I think that's definitely comes from the creative side. But now I'm just like, I'm 37. I don't give a shit how weird I'm being. If I want to do weird shit at 37, leave me be. Just leave yeah. me be. I'm fine. I'm all right. I'm doing myself. I know my flaws. I know, I know my good bits. I'm all right with it. I'm a relentless human being. And it's not going to change at 37, is it? Like, it's yeah. just not. So I'm fine with it. I think it's sometimes it's nice to know, even though it's not nice to be labelled. I can't remember who I was talking to about, and my memory is fucked. Um, but it was about getting the label. Mm. And why should everyone's got so many different things going? Why yeah. do you need that label? But I think sometimes because my best friend's got ADHD. Oh, is she? Yeah. And but she's undiagnosed though because the she's had terrible. She had a drug addiction for a long time. Yeah. The mental health care that she's received has just not been good. I know if she paid to go privately, yeah, hundred yeah. percent she'd get diagnosed yeah. with it. But she just doesn't really want to do that at the moment. Yeah. Because I got the forms because like they asked a, a friend. It's actually called, yeah, it's called um, an informant form, which I feel like it's what it's called. (laughs) Like an informant. It's like you're grassing on It's like you're grassing on all our things that we do. The weird, yeah, it's called an informant, which I found rude, to be quite honest. Okay, yeah, well, anyway, but it was just literally like her on a bit of paper. Yeah. Crazy. But she just, now, because she knows in herself. Yeah. And I think... It, she used to she because she was addicted to cocaine, which is I common, the, which is yeah, common with you. Kind of helped. Calm well, this her is down see, I've or, I've never you know. I've not never been into drugs, um, mostly because I'm a control freak. But I drank from a young age, and again, that was really helpful for me. I would drink a lot, and I would always it was always like I don't drink now, or very very rarely do because I'm impulsive. It's not a fun mix, and yes, I know that yeah. about myself. But interestingly, like as I've explored, so 
I have coffee whenever, like bedtime. I'll have a little coffee nap. It doesn't bother me at all. Like I go to sleep on, I've, I've just clogged a load of coffee and it makes me want to snooze. And I know yeah. that's not like the normal response, but from what I've understood about those with ADHD, things like cocaine and things like that, speed actually do what Ad- Adderall does, which is to just make us in a level. It actually does the opposite to us. Yeah. It makes us go, yeah. like if I had have taken cocaine and speed, I'd have been really chilled. It'd have been great. I'd have just been like, oh, this is nice. Like, yeah. this is what people experience day to day. So actually, like, it makes, it often makes sense. A lot of people who have ADHD end up having addiction problems because, yeah. one, we're impulsive, so we don't always have that stop. But also, we self-medicate. We're, like, that's yes. that's yeah. what happens yeah. because we, we just adapt. Yeah. And then we're like, we try something. We're like, oh, this, this feels nice. It's a bit more silent, like, in, a, in my head. It's lovely. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting because I, I think the label thing, I, in the past, would have you know, when I was younger, I probably would have said the same thing. Why do you need a label? But that's because I don't like to be confined to stuff. And, but as I've got older and I've understood more about mental health and I've explored that more, and obviously that's become my work, I've understood that, and and I always say to my clients, whether it's depression or stress or anxiety or ADHD, and I say it to my children as well, like, it's always, it's about reasons, not excuses. It's a reason and an excuse, they're different things. A reason why you process things in a different way, a reason why you might be struggling right now is one thing. We never want an excuse for something, but that the difference is, is how you experience it. And I also think, like I said, about lessening shame around how you feel. I think that's really important. And I also think often people around you need that diagnosis more than you do. Yeah. And they will listen a lot more when a a healthcare professional says you have depression. And actually a lot of the reasons, which is awful, isn't it? You're like screaming out, I'm I'm dying here, like I'm struggling. And people are like, well, are you though? Are you just a bit sad? Like, do you just need to like, you know, go out with your friends, have a laugh. And people are really struggling. And then when they get that diagnosis, it's a relief because they can go see here's this piece of paper yes. or this this is yes. this is why I'm like that and you'll still get people that will go it's just a, everybody's got a bloody diagnosis and I just think you know it's the same with people who say things like and I know the intention is to kind of make us all the same and it's meant sometimes in a nice way but whenever but when people say things like everyone's a little bit ADHD everyone's got a little bit on the spectrum and yeah. and I, do you know what I don't even tolerate that anymore no they're not <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. they're not. They're not. And if you think everyone's a little bit ADHD, you don't know what it is. If you think yeah, everyone's yeah. on the spectrum a little bit, then you don't have an understanding of what living with that is. So, yes. and if yeah. you if you do, then I suggest you go and get an assessment. <laughs> because yeah. if you yeah. say to everything that I say, if you're like, that's my lived experience, then I suggest you go and explore what that means for you. Because that isn't that isn't in everybody's experience. I've got lots of friends who are like, that is not my experience and that's completely alien. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's fine as well. Like, so I, yeah, I think labels can be helpful as long as you aren't allowing them to keep you stuck. It is an understanding. Yes. And especially yeah. things like, I mean, autism, ADHD, is a different thing because that's just how you're wired. Depression is something that can be transient, that can be something you walk through. Stress can be something you walk through. Anxiety can be something you walk through. I'm not saying these things don't return, but they're not fixed. They're not a fixed point. A a difference in brain function and how we are wired is one thing. But, you know, when somebody is just saying, I have anxiety, I always get a little worried about the word and in the language around that. Just be mindful that you don't want to have anxiety all the time. So yeah. I'm experiencing anxiety right now. 
is a big difference yeah. in terms of language and I'm huge on how we talk about our stuff yes because yeah. it's what we experience then after we say it or I think there's there's different things, but anyone that walks around going, everybody's got a bloody label, they're just dickheads. So we're just not going to tolerate them anymore. Yeah, and I don't know why, I don't know why that is, because why, why, why they have to kind of dismiss rather than yeah. accept and empathize. It's a weird thing. Isn't it's weird. It's, like, it's what, so weird. Are you not going to get any attention then because you haven't got anything wrong with you? Or, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, what's the motivation? Do you know, maybe yeah. we should just say that when people say that in future, we'll just say, what's your motivation in saying that? And yeah. just let them sit in it. <laughs> just that's yeah. it. Yeah. Just what, what, what did you hope that would happen when you said that? Yeah. Just leave that with them. Let them stew on what that means for them. Because that's that feels like a them problem, not an us problem. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about everything. Let's talk about everything. I know everything. we're supposed to be talking about a TV show, but we can... <laughs> Do that at the end, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. We could talk about everything. I mean, listen, we just talked about the fact I've got ADHD. All I want to talk about is everything. Yeah. So let's do it. So how did you get into acting? Were you like, did your parents encourage you to do it when you were younger? Or were you no. very much, this is what I want to do? Yeah, I was that kid. I, again, it, reverting slightly back to ADHD, I actually think that I learned early. I've always felt like an alien. I always felt like I was different. I always felt like I was kind of feeling my way through the world I, I always felt like an old soul and there was no real reason for that I just did and I think my parents kind of went let's get her into like an acting it was like a local like acting class it was called sit and fidget which actually is quite apt when I think about that now <laughs> it's called sit and fidget um and yeah. I went I went to sit and fidget and loved it like loved all that pretend and like I just proper got a bug for it and then I learned about it. I mean, I don't even know where would I have learned about this stuff? Like it was like the 1990s. So where was I learning about? I guess I must've just spoken to people maybe at the drama class or something. And I learned that you could do that as a job and people went to drama schools when they were older. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And in my local area, there was, there was two TV shows at the time. There was Biker Grove, which was a kids youth club. And there, which I didn't watch. I was actually too young to really, I didn't really watch it at that age. I was like, you know, 10, 9, 10 at that, when I started to get yeah. this kind of desire to do acting. I wasn't really watching it because it was more for like tween teens. And then there was a new show that had started called Keysiders, which was set to be like the Geordie EastEnders. It didn't really go very far, as you can imagine, you probably don't know what it is. But they had these these two shows and I'd started to go to these like Saturday morning drama classes and I just loved it. And my parents were not in that world. My dad was a welder. My mum worked in a bank. Like we were just a normal family. Like, we didn't have any sort of pull towards that stuff at all. Um, I've just been lucky, I think, with my parents. They've always been of the mindset of be who you want to be. They were punks when I was growing up. And like there was always this very like liberal mindset of like just be who you want to be and what that is, is enough. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't be that. My dad, you know, my dad particularly come from really like no money whatsoever, like, and worked really hard to get to a position where he is right now, worked in the oil industry and and grafted for everything that he's got. And he always taught me and my sister, you know, because of your accents, because of like, you will give away that you're not from money. You will all, it, it will be obvious where you've come from. You will, your working class stock will be leaking out of you. Own it, 
articulate yourself and don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. And I was really brought up with that. I was brought up with the, the Geordie phrase, shy bends getting out, right? Which means if you don't ask, you don't get, right? Yeah. So, and my family, you know, they're, they're loud and they talk and they're like, it is shy bends getting out. So I always had that in my mind. That was very much an ethos growing up. And so when I heard that there was this TV show out called K-Siders, I don't know why I didn't think about Biker Grove. I think probably because it was like in the local paper, they were auditioning for this new TV show. And so I said to my mom and dad, like, I want to be on this show. Like there was like, and you know, like just shows you like the time it was, but there was like a number in the local paper, like you'd call for the audition. <laughs> like, like it's a proper like BBC drama, but it's just in the local paper. So they, um, and my dad called this number and said, look, are you auditioning any kids for this? And they said, no, because it's set in pubs and we probably won't. But why don't you, yeah. con- why don't you contact the casting department at Biker Grove? Like they all knew each other. And so my dad did. And they said, can you get Holly to write a letter? If, if she's up for it or you write a letter. And, and I was like, I'm up for it. So we had a computer, which I didn't remember that we did. But my mom and dad found the letter that I wrote to them on the computer um, like, and they got it out on a canvas for me for my 30th birthday. And it's so sweet. It's written in Comic Sans, right? Obviously, because it was fancy. <laughs> I mean, I know that the designers listening just died a death. They're like, Ugh. I used to use Comic Sans. Of course we did. I mean, of course, I mean, swirly in that. Mm. So like, I've written this letter and it's like, it says, dear, dear, um, whoever it was, D, the lady was called D, the cast and woman. Dear D Wood, um, my name is Holly and I am an actress. Like I was not, there was all like, I affirmed it. I knew who I was. I am an actress. I've got brown hair, which had coloured in brown and green eyes, which was in green, obviously just to help them out. Um, I've done my Lambda exams, which was like um, your your London Academy Music and Dramatic Arts exams you did at the local like theatre, my my drama class. And I love acting. And then I'd put, I'm not shy one bit. Right, just letting them know, you know, just in case they were worried. And then just how I'd love a part. And then at the very bottom, it said, P.S., please write back soon. Just like, because I was dead excited that they might write back. So I was probably, I must have been 11, 10 or 11 when I wrote that, sent it in. But like, bear in mind, like there was no, in my mind, there was no stop. Like, as you get older, you start, you know, you put all this societal stuff on, maybe I won't get it, all this judgment, all this, I was 10 or 11. I was an actor. I did not have, I was expecting Steven Spielberg to just knock on the door. Like I had no worries about that. And they got me in for an audition. And I auditioned, I think about five or six times for one of the lead characters. And then I didn't get the part. But during that time, I'd been on set. I'd had scripts with the like BBC and Biker Grove on it. Like imagine the excitement. So when I didn't get the part, I wasn't like gutted. In my mind, I was like, well, then it can be done. I just do it again and it can be done. Six months later, they wrote a part in for me anyway. And I got a call back saying that they had written the part in. And I did that show for seven years. So all of my grown up was on TV. But I had no worries about it. Like I... I didn't have any concerns that that, you know, you hear people saying like, oh, you know, you get into that world, it's it's hard knock, you know, you've got to develop a tough skin. But up to that point, like that wasn't my experience. It was, you write a letter, you don't get the first one, but then they write you a part in. So my blueprint of the world was, this is easy then. Like that's, that's how it goes. So that's how I got into acting. 
I left that show, signed to Sony. So again, my world was like, oh, you just signed to a major record label and do singing. Like, that's what happens next. Like, I had no, like, concept of that until I didn't have, until I had a concept of that. So when I was singing, my um, my single went in at 32 in the charts and I was dropped from the label. That was my first experience of a knockback and I was like How 19. Old were you? So I would have been about think about 19 when that okay. happened. So I'd gone from like TV show for seven years, like easy doors, like that seems like that's what happens. Like now I realize like how lucky that was. And then going straight from that, signing, leaving the TV show on screen. So my character left, she was a singer, and she left to go to London and get a record contract and it had happened in real life so then I did Top of the Pops on the Saturday in real life and so I was like I was so like this is how it happens and then yeah so then acting wise after after singing didn't work out I sat with myself and I was like do I want to pursue this further this singing like is this what I want to do because I could have I could have went to another record label and I had an opportunity I mean 32 isn't like shit like it's not like that bad it's in in the grand scheme of things no, it was it was a weird shift in time where people had stopped buying singles and it was a one single deal and to then do the album. So it was just a weird time and I got kind of caught in the crossfire of George Michael signing back up to Sony. Thanks, George Michael. Oh. Um, like all my people went to George Michael, obviously. I mean, that was rightly so. Yeah. Um, but like it was just like a, a, a mix of things. But actually it made me assess and go, do you even want this? And I didn't. Like, I just didn't want it enough. I sat there and I thought, what was the best thing about doing singing? And the best thing about doing singing was the music video. And I was like, that's because you're an actor. Like, you're not, you don't really want to do that. How and did that come about, the record deal and everything? Because my character on Biker was a singer. And, and that really, yeah. that came about because one day the script writer came into a room I was in and went, Holly, can you sing? And I went, yeah. And he went, go on then. And I went, and I sang, I think it was The Honeys, the end of the line, um, and just sang that for like two seconds. And I loved that. I sang that in nearly every episode. Um, I'm trying to get The Honeys in my membership to do a talk, just like a full circle for myself. Um, but I'm like, so they, they, I was like, yeah. And they were like, all right, sound. So the next script, batch of scripts I got, my character started singing. And so that was kind of happening in the show. And then the yeah. sing the singing came about because I went on um, the Saturday show, which was a BBC like like live and kicking at the Saturday show with yeah. like Danny Bear or whatever. And I went on that show, and before you do the show, the night before you go out for a meal with whoever's on the shows, so there was like pop stars, the rivals, people on there, or and the Blazing Squad, there were all the big all. The- all the big pe- big players. We went out yeah, for yeah. food. Yeah, you know, A-list. Thank you. Um, we all went out for some food. And I was sat next to this woman, Ruth, who was managing somebody off pop stars or something like that. And we got yeah. chatting. And I must have said, oh, my character's a singer in the show. And she said to me, look, I'm moving to a new management company. Would you be interested in us contacting you? And and then she had phoned this manager guy and she said, watch this girl on, I wasn't singing on that show, but she's like, just watch her, how she talks and stuff. Like, I think she'd be interesting to speak to. So it kind of started happening in real life while my character was doing nothing on the show. And if people watched the show, it was probably, it looked really like it had been planned that way, but it was kind of just a collision of things happening at once that timing wise worked out quite nicely for viewers of the show. But it was one of them where it wasn't my passion. I knew I could sing, 
but I didn't and I actually felt quite vulnerable singing I did it was me yeah. it wasn't me pretending yeah. to be yeah, an actor yeah. like that's different and I know I do that now but at the time I just wanted to like pretend and not be myself yeah. and so I didn't love it and it was just one of those where if somebody says to you do you want to see where this goes you just say yes and I just thought ah, I'll just see where it goes and I'll just yeah. do MTV and Disney and Nickelodeon and make a music video and recording Marbella and do all of that stuff because it sounds like it'll be good stories and I did it yeah. all but never re like I still don't it still feels like a weird thing because one I had a different name so I was called Summer Matthews right you can Google her. She feels like a different person. So Summer Matthews was because Holly Valance was out at the same time and she came from a TV show. I mean, the comparison, yeah. obviously, is so similar. Like, <laughs> the hell? So they, like, pushed me. Sony and, and my management company, like, pushed me into, like, having a different name, which was a stupid idea. And I was too young and, like, naive and, like, was, like, yeah. out of my depth to, like, say, fuck off. So I was just, like... Yeah, they were like, why don't you give yourself, we'll think of a new name. And I was coming back with names like Harley Matthews. Because <laughs> like, I was thinking, I'm not going to be able to answer to this. Like, So I was Summer Matthews. So actually, once the singing finished and Summer Matthews was no longer, it felt like a totally, like a totally separate part of my life that happened and nobody else was part of but me because I was always on my own. I was just always on my yeah. own in hotels, singing around the country, radio shows, whatever, magazine stuff. This was on my own. So everyone that knew me, my boyfriend at the time, my sister, my family, no one was there with me. It was just me. So it almost feels like it was just a thing that just, like happened. And then people are like, yeah. tweet me stuff or like message me like, oh, I loved Summer Matthews. Little Miss Perfect was my song. And I'm like, just feels like a different person. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. So... I guess it was easy then to decide because the thing is, mm. it's so cutthroat, wasn't it? Like they yeah. put everything behind you and build you up so much, and then as soon if you're not like number one straight away, oh. they're like next. Absolutely devastating for, especially at that age as well. Well, I went from like, and I remember, I remember where I was sat. I remember everything, and it wasn't. I had no experience of it, so it wasn't. It, you know, similar to when I got the part in Biker, I wasn't, like, I had no experience. So it was, everything was learned in that moment. And as I say, I'd gone from, like, seven years in a TV show, you walk into that, you leave that, you say, and I'd been working with Sony for about a year. So it wasn't, like, a small time. I'd been working and recording yeah. and, I, you know, and making absolutely fucking next to no money as well at the time. Obviously, I was still living at home, but, like, I wasn't making loads of money from it. You know, it's not, like, it wasn't big time. And... I remember that on the Saturday, we my management knew where it was going to chart. So on the Saturday, you find out where it's going to go out on Radio 1. Yeah. On the Sunday, it goes out on the chart show. On Monday morning, I took a call to say, it's been nice working with you, goodbye. It was like that ruthless. It was not like, and on the week, because I'm just like a person that just cracks on. So I wasn't like, I was like, all right, sound well, I'll just get work. I'll get a job in a coffee shop while I do some auditions. And like, I yeah. was working in a coffee shop with a big fat tax bill, like the week after. And everyone around, I mean, I guess like from other people, they must have thought, God, like how embarrassing she's gone from like that. But I didn't ever see it like that. I, I mean, I do yeah. walk around in my own bubble. Like I don't really give a shit what I was thinking. And I was just thinking, right, well, I just need, to make some money while I'm con I mean it wasn't right like right now where 
I I guess now we're so used to like a side hustle and thing like it wasn't really like that it was like just get something to just pave the way till you do the next big job and yeah. I was I was still auditioning I was auditioning for big films and big tv stuff and just thinking I thought well I'll just get a job in a coffee shop doing that because yeah I said quite low it was easy I knew I could walk in the next day and make money and get tips yeah. and all of that and also one thing I always said to myself as an actor and I think this has really served me well in many ways was and I remember, I mean, of all of the people to be fully inspired by, it was Jerry Halliwell from the Spice Girls, obviously. And I read Jerry Halliwell's book, which I am sure she wrote herself. And I remember it being like her talking about lots of different jobs she had done before becoming a Spice Girl. Like she was a promotional yeah. model and like all of the modelly stuff and glamour girls. And I remember thinking she's do- she's got loads of stories to talk about. And I'm a storyteller. Like I, as an actor, I am in my work now, like, I love it. Like, and I, I think like that's how we connect with people. And so I just remember thinking really early on, I've just got to live a really full life where I try loads of stuff because one, that will be really great when I'm old and I can tell good stories. Two, it will definitely go in a book at some point. And three, I'll be a better actor if I've lived. Because I met yeah, so yeah. many actors that just went drama school to drama school to drama school, darling. And they'd never lived. They've never done anything. So how are you meant to play somebody that's yeah. done this if you've never experienced anything? And yeah. so I think doing that helped me to kind of every job I ever, I never worked. I've never had a proper, proper job for any length of time. But everything that I did, I always just felt like a character. Like I always just felt like I'm just playing a character until the next role like and I, I don't know if that's an actor brain or just mine but I just always thought like if I'm doing this job that I'm just pretending and it'll be a good experience and I'll be able to talk about it and I look now and I think like I mean my friends laugh at me because they call me like Ness from what you call it from um Gavin and Stacey who's always got like a weird story they're like oh shut up <laughs> Ness like because I'm like oh when I worked in that strip club that time and I used to sell shots and that and they're like oh wh- when did that happen like and like, just did. there's always something there's always something but that's nice it's nice to have different experiences and I think that's so true because as an actor you do have to convey a person's life don't you but if you've literally just been to drama school i mean i know obviously it's a bit because it's the whole method acting thing isn't it it's yeah like acting is pretending yeah so really you should just be able to pretend rather than actually having to sleep in a ditch or whatever yeah but was it dustin hoffman that slept on a bench or something when he was something like that because yeah. i i've always liked the more method like i remember doing i mean this is rank but i did the bill right and i grew up like i loved the bill i was a fan of the bill right loved it like i'm gutted that show's not on and me and my sister grew up with it. And when the audition came, I rang my sister. I was like, I've got an audition for the bill. Guess what? And she was like, no, I said, I said I've got an audition and it's, I need to get the part. And she was like, prostitute on the bill. And I was like, no, crackhead on the bill. A crackhead on the bill who holds somebody hostage with a syringe. Like, I have to get it. I, I need it. So, like, I went the audition, like fully like rough like uh no makeup like bags I, I made my I was in and the director actually said to me I'd never off your headshot I, I didn't think you were gonna get this part so he's like you've done well and when I went to in the scenes that I was doing my character was supposed to be coming down off the drugs because she'd been in the cells for a long time so I'm like well, I need to look like I'm clocking like I need to look like I'm coming down off drugs like so I got the great idea to <laughs> drink a full 
cheap bottle of vodka with my sister the night before like I mean like I was I was young so I was like you know I don't know 1920 like we were it was basically just like pure alcohol like it was disgusting vodka we know the type right so we've drank that and we've gone through I remember we went through all of the stages of drunk the, the laughing fun stage the crying the angry at someone phase like phoning people phase we went through them all so I'm going on set the next day and I had to get the tube from um, Loughton, where I lived in Essex, to the other, like, South London somewhere. And I, I'm getting, like, I'm starting to feel sick already with the, how bad this hangover was. I had to get off at Stratford East to throw up on the platform. That's how rough I was. That's how bad. So I'm on set and I'm portraying this person who's, like, coming down off drugs. I am shaking like a shitting dog. I'm sweating. <laughs> And like, I'm not even like, this is how bad it was. I wasn't even processing what the director was saying. Sometimes you know when you're zoned out hungover, like, you know, yeah. like that's how, and everyone on set was like, she's really good. Like she is excellent. Like she's so good. Like she's really into, and I'm like, <laughs> going to the toilets, like mop my brow. And they're like, oh, she's done really, like she's really good actor, isn't she? And I was just really rough. And like, when it was like, oh, Holly, you're, you're wrapped for the day. And I'm like, me it stop like I wanted to go away so I did used to definitely take some of things like a little too seriously I just wanted it to be right I wanted it to look right yeah but that's I mean that's pretty impressive to go to that length <laughs> it was it? too far yeah I mean yeah I mean I still look at it. I mean I was a bit of a fat crackhead though if I'm being honest like I it'd been Christmas between so since when I got the part and and I'd had a, I'd had a hearty Christmas I'd, I'd enjoyed it and so when I look at it now I'm like oh Christ um but it you know it was good it looked great so I'm happy with that performance so so you were auditioning a lot did you get lots of work so I I mean I did pretty well in that so I went to, I did go to drama school um, I decided that. What did you go to? I went to East Fifteen, so in oh, Loughton. Yes. So I went from after singing, and I'd sat down and had that conversation myself, like, "What do you want?" And then I thought, "No, I want an act. I want an act. I want to act." And I was at that time really struggling to get any kind of adult parts because people saw me as a kid like I looked quite young for my age as well and so I was at that weird stage and people saw me as a child actor and so it was that transition from child actor to getting those meteor roles and also in a very saturated time young 20 like early 20s for a girl teens 20s is a really saturated market as an actor and I thought right I'm gonna have to give myself all the stuff I can give myself so I thought I'm gonna go to drama school yeah. I want to get a top 10 conference. There's the, you know, for those that are listening, there's the top 10 drama schools. These are like the elite drama schools. They're hard to get in. And I wanted East 15 because East 15 is very, yeah. it was all seen as like a method school and it was grittier. And I thought that's the one I want to go to. And yeah. I auditioned, um, I auditioned for that and I got in. In fact, I auditioned twice. They asked me to come back because I sang a musical theater. No, I sang a pop song the first time I went. Um, I don't, I think I sat on Gwen Stefani, <laughs> no doubt. Um, don't speak, um, something like that. And then they asked me to come back and sing a show tune. And so I came back and sang a show tune. And I remember it was actually really nice because I sang it and I knew I'd done good because the music teacher went, and that's how it's done afterwards. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> what did you, you sing? I sang um, Nothing from a chorus line. Um oh. I love that song. I felt it in my core. Um, so I, I sang, yeah, so I sat, I got into East 15 
Um, but I think part of me always knew, and I don't know if this is just, this is part of my, sometimes I realize that you've got to play the game in life. You've got to tick boxes to get to the next level, right? There's sometimes a game we've got to play and that sometimes is who you associate with, the shows that you do, the credibility, the whatever, right? You've got to play the game. I knew that if I got a top 10 drama school on my CV, people would see me as a credible actor, darling. So I was like, I'll get that on my, and I don't give a shit whether I finish. I don't want it. I don't care about a degree. That's really irrelevant to me. Yeah. But I knew I wanted that. So when I went to drama school, I was sneaking off to audition. I still had an agent and I was sneaking off to audition for like footballers, wives and the bill and casualty and all of that stuff. And um, during that audition process, I got cast in Waterloo Road for the second season and a series, not season, Holly, we're not American. Um, got in the second series of Waterloo Road. And so in my, I was just about to finish the first year of drama school and they were like, look, we want you to go to Manchester and play Leanne Galloway. And um, so I left, I left drama school. I didn't finish it. I was a dropout, um, but I just wanted to be working. Like I wanted to work. Yeah. And so from, after doing Waterloo Road, I, got, I did that the second series of Waterloo Road. My character got expelled and then I just I did casualty in the bill and I was just jobbing like I was doing I was doing what I loved like yeah I was acting and enjoying it but what I did always do between acting was recognize that I didn't want to be a skinned actor like I didn't want to be I didn't want to be working a coffee shop like I didn't but I also didn't want a proper job because one it sounded boring and two I didn't like that feeling of having to phone in sick like I don't want to let yes. people down. I don't like that yeah, feeling. Yeah. And for those that are listening that don't know, as an actor, sometimes you'll get a call like four o'clock in the afternoon saying you've got to get to London the next day and you've got to have learned a full script. And you've got yeah. to be on your game because if you're not, somebody else will be. And I know yeah. times have shifted slightly probably since the pandemic and there's a lot more on tape stuff. But at that time, it was like, get to London or you don't get a chance, you don't get a look in. Yeah. So I was used to that kind of quick pace of stuff. And I didn't like letting people down so really early on in me being a working actor I realized you've got to make up jobs like you've got to find ways of making money and so I did a lot of promotional modeling or I would do bits on radio or voiceover stuff and then I would do like you know when when my husband was alive we used to do like um all kinds of like we were selling something we were like Del Boy and like we just always had some kind of like grift we were doing like oh we'll sell t-shirts this week or we're doing this or if we set if we do this and you know I had girls selling shots in bars in Essex and like I was just always on an idea and I've always kind of been of the mindset like if somebody says to me do you do this like and I can think I can kind of do it I'll go yeah and then how much is that and I'll just put a price on it like one of the jobs I once did was a girl emailed me and she was setting up a princess party business, you know, like getting print, like being a princess, but she had no acting experience. And she messaged, emailed me and was like, oh, could you like teach me to act like a princess? So this girl would come around my house, pay £50 an hour and would I would teach her to be a princess. I mean, that's the funniest job I've ever, like that's yeah. funny. Like and my husband would come home and he'd be like, what's going on in here? And I'd be like, I'm just teaching her to be a princess. Like just... <laughs> move on it's nothing mind your business <laughs> what's going on in here you don't need to know just keep walking so I was I've always been pretty good at like finding ways to never have a proper job so I can just be creative and free and I think for years I kind of always felt like I was going to get found out like someone would suddenly clock on and they'd be like you have to get a proper job <laughs> and I realized like a few probably about three years really not that long ago I was like you, you actually this is what that like, you do just 
do your own thing like nobody you've done this now for a long time like you've not had a proper job you're all right you'll work it out like you'll you'll work whatever it is you'll work it out and and I feel lucky that that doesn't scare me but then I don't know any difference that's probably why it doesn't scare me like I think if you go from proper job to like going into your side hustle then that might feel a bit of a scary jump yeah but I've not I've just kind of always done that so um yeah it kept me between the acting jobs I always had something else to do so it made it less scary and less kind of pressure on making that work but I'd had I, I just had loads of great experiences within acting and I feel very lucky realizing you know what what the industry can be like like I I was acting and I was acting until it I decided not to like that was a choice yeah to to shift out of acting hi yeah so that's a lovely holly and next week we'll hear about why she gave up acting and well as much um and the happy me project and yeah it's, it's a really it really was a lovely chat she's lovely you know how you meet some people and you just think, oh, I just want to be your best friend. Um, but her sister lives near me, so hopefully we're going to meet up at some point. But yes, but I hope you're good. Obviously, if you want to talk um, about anything that we discuss, then please get in touch with me or Holly. She's more than happy to hear from you. I hope you're okay. I hope you're not too upset by the passing of the Queen, which has happened very recently. Um, but yeah, stay safe, stay sane. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, then please check out my episodes. I had another life coach on the Epic Life Coach, which she's got an amazing story as well. I've chatted to loads of inspiring people, so please check them out. And also, please subscribe and share the podcast. Sharing is caring. But yeah, big love to you all. Stay safe, stay sane, and I'll see you next week. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.